Warning, the following episode may contain explicit language, and it definitely has literal poop jokes. It is the 1630s in Rome, Italy. A customer enters a rather peculiar store to make a purchase. Hello there. My name is Julia Tofana. Welcome to my humble apothecary. I have a wide variety of scents and beauty products. And are you looking for anything in particular? Hello. I've heard good things about your shop. I was hoping to browse your perfumes if I might. I need to find a particular scent. Well, we have many to choose from. Do you have a special occasion in mind? Oh, I just might. I have a certain anniversary coming up. Ah, I see. Anniversaries are special occasions. How long have you been married? Oh, ten years. You don't sound excited. Well, as as you may know, not all marriages are easy. Oh, I see. You are having problems. I suppose that's true. Maybe it's a special scent you're looking for. Oh, I've, I've heard certain scents can improve one's circumstances. Well, that depends. How exactly did you hear of my shop and services? Oh, I heard from a, a friend of a friend. Ah, I do have many friends. Some of them are very loyal customers. Well, depending on whether or not your special scent works, I, I too may be a loyal customer in the future. I'm thinking you are looking for a fragrance that may not be on the shelf. Well, perhaps I am. I keep a special stock behind the counter. This just might do the trick to solve one's marital problems. Hmm. Is this the special scent I've heard so much about? I believe it is. This is a most unique cocktail. It has a lavender fragrance, but its ingredients are extra special and potent, if you know what I mean. I am looking for extra special and potent things. Well, then, may I wrap this up for you? I suppose so, but... Uh, yes? How much should I use? A first dose will cause mild illness, a second dose will make the illness worse, and a third and final dose will make you a widow in a matter of days. Wait, 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 what now? Uh-huh, huh? What did you say? A widow? Uh, um, yes. Is, uh... Is that not why you're here? Why would I want to wear a perfume that would make me a widow? Ah, uh, uh, um, you, you mentioned your husband and the difficulties in your marriage. Why, well, I, I did, but, but who doesn't? I think we just need to communicate more openly in our relationship. I was just hoping to find a scent he would like for our upcoming anniversary to, you know, rekindle the flame and all. Oh, oh my. Oh, okay, well, this is awkward. Yes, it is. In, in fairness, it seemed like you were hinting at something. Well, yes, but it wasn't what you were thinking. Ah, uh, which friend sent you here? Wendy. She said your services did wonders for her marriage. Oh, Wendy, that makes sense. She likes the rose oil scent. So does her husband, apparently. Nice couple. So, um... Yeah, yeah, yep. I, I just remembered I have a place to be that uh, isn't here, so I'm gonna go now. Right, right. Oh, okay. Then away. Are those are those bath bombs over there? Uh, uh, oh, oh, yes, they are. Oh, maybe give me a couple of those. 
I wouldn't recommend those ones over over there, but but, but these ones here, on the other hand. Oh, okay, never mind then. Because they're made of poison too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I got that. They smell nice though. Well, there's that then. Welcome, everyone. This is Poor Historians, the podcast delving into the archives of medical history. As three practicing emergency physicians, we will explore the unusual ailments, treatments, physicians, and all related material having to do with the healing arts. I'm Max, and I'm joined here by my good friends and colleagues, Aaron and Mike. Gentlemen, did your food taste funny at all today? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I went to lunch, I had a little metallic taste kind of in the in the in the soup I had. I, I don't know. I mean, I got a little belly pain, but I think I'm okay. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how things go. My food did not taste funny at all. It tasted fine. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. good. No reason I ask. No reason. Mm-hmm. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to remind everyone that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical advice. It exists only to entertain. We mean that for every episode, but this episode super duper is not for advice for what should be obvious reasons here shortly. So, Aaron? What are you talking about? Well, I will get to that in just a second, but uh, I kind of want to set the scene a little bit since you know we're all emergency medicine folks here. And I, I, I feel like over the years, I've figured out that the patient we sort of help the most in our specific line of work is the patient that just shows up really sick, not breathing right, confused, low blood pressure, kind of unable to help us figure out what went on by telling us what they felt. Um, and all of those folks have a broad list of things that could have gone wrong. And of all the doctors you'll see, I think the ER doctor is the one most likely to also consider totally whacked out shit that might've happened. Like, did you get bitten by a snake? If so, what kind, what shape was its head? You know, did you happen to make some tea or soup from stuff you picked up in the forest because you're living off the grid or did you recently go foraging? You know, were, were you in a fire? Was there a space heater in your trailer? Did somebody put something in your drink? And there's this whole list of crazy stuff that we kind of think about. Because we see it. Yeah, we do. We legit do see all sorts of this stuff. And I would bet if folks have gone through similar training, each one of those sentences that I just said would relate to very separate known crazy shit that can kill you or put you in a coma or make you sick, whatever else. So a huge section of other options come from stuff people take on purpose or stuff other people give to someone. So it's not always environmental. Sometimes it's poisoning. So I feel like of all the specialties, we're the ones most qualified to talk about poison as it relates to medicine. And we have a whole subspecialty of toxicology. And I, I love it because it's just a ton of stories about some shit that happened to some people that was kind of fucked up. And that's all toxicology is just stories of crazy shit. People cooked once and then they got really sick or whatever else. So, And it's a gigantic subsection of what we do. <laughs> totally. 
I think it's funny that you just read the foreword of the toxicology textbook just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should write one, right? It's just there's a lot of fucked up shit in the list in this book, and you have to remember it. Somewhere, if any of our faculty toxicologists hear this, they are super excited right now. Yeah. And, and again, I, I want to emphasize none of us here are, I'm not saying I'm a board certified toxicologist, but it's a legit big subsection. I mean, it was on my boards, um, all sorts of stuff. And it, it is interesting because you can't run studies, right? I mean, normally you guys know this, you're going to see if a medicine works, you compare it between two groups. You certainly can't do that with poisoning. I mean, cause <laughs> you can't do it perhaps for obvious reasons. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Hard to get um, that one published. Yeah, totally. So, you know, with, with that in mind, do you guys, do you guys have a, a favorite poison or toxin? I think mine's it's good to not answer that immediately. Yeah, mine, <laughs> right, you're looking to go think about it. Well, mine are just the weird ones. You know, the weird ones you don't really think about the weird, the ones that grow in your garden, like foxglove. I mean, what a great overdose. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, uh, uh, one of the saying, I, I, how many times did you guys hear from any toxicology faculty that everything is toxin and it, it really is a matter of dose. Um, I don't, what is my favorite poison? So the clo- all right. So an interesting one you might not think about. <clears throat> I once almost, uh, knocked myself out cold, uh, by, uh, kind of inadvertently poisoning myself. So I had a homemade kegerator that I used to use with homemade beer. And when I was new to owning the kegerator and setting up CO2 lines, one of the lines had a leak in it. And so I would get this CO2 canister filled up. And then I like within a day or two, I noticed it was like empty and it was driving me crazy. So this was a chest freezer. And basically for like 24 hours, it was just the CO2 canister leaked into a sealed chest freezer. And so when I was trying to check on it, and you're kind of leaning your head over once I leaned my face below the lip of the container and, you know, you breathe oh, that is so because cool. you, you have to, um, I took a little breath in through my nose and because all the carbon dioxide had replaced yeah. the air, I almost passed out within a second because Just one I went breath. into a, a 100% CO2 environment and took a breath for a split second. It was crazy. That. That's a cool one because then there's physics too, right? Like the CO2 would have to be heavier than the air, so below the lip. Yep, right? yep, exactly. And so <laughs> I learned learned from that experience. And uh, I actually opened the plug at the bottom to let it drain out and uh, didn't do that again. Uh, so, you know, not all poisons are liquids or plants. It's uh, possibly a stretch, but that is my best almost self-poisoning. I've got a good one. <laughs> I got it. This goes back to college. I was doing... Um... I think it was my first organic chemistry lab. It was something simple. We just had to isolate caffeine from a tea leaf. And I, I sucked at labs. Like I'm not really good at following directions and I'm not a very detail oriented person. So I, I ultimately, as I was trying to isolate caffeine, I made chlorine gas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so we had to evacuate the lab. It's <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, perfect. So everything is tox. Yep. And all this is to say the topic today is totally poison, which you'd think isn't medicine, but I think we've established really kind of is. So poison story for today starts with a trial in 17th century Italy. Mm. Um, 
Mm. And Italy, and especially Rome at that time, was religious and repressive, even if it was beautiful after the flowering of the full Renaissance a century or so before. And a context is a little important, so just bear with me. So Michelangelo had left his mark, but in response to the Protestant Michael, Reformation. Michael who? Michelangelo? Okay. Michelangelo? Ooh, say so. I, I say Michelangelo. That's how I pronounce it. Did I say it wrong? No, no, no. I just, I had never heard of the guy. I think he was going to make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference. Oh, yeah. That's right. You're right. You're right. Nunchucks. Uh, Okay. Real quick. So nunchucks. Yeah, real quick. What's the color of his bandana? Orange. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Fast. Mm -hmm. Nice. Although who was, yeah, somebody recently, there was a a Raphael. I said that, you know, they brought in their size and it was, it was one of you two. It was me. I didn't get it right away. Yeah. I was very, yeah, like, I was Raphael very unimpressed with myself. Size? Yeah. I know. I, I just misheard it. It's like, oh, I've seen it written so many times. But anyway. It looks like we're going to transition from Ninja Turtles to Spanish Inquisition. Please do. Yeah, pretty much. So in response to the Protestant Reformation, all Catholics in that part of the world had just locked shit down. So same era as the Spanish Inquisition, more or less, just and don't at me, medieval scholars. I know they're sub- you know, sub periods and decades and yada, yada. But so needless to say, divorces were not an option and women's rights were not sort of ascendant, shall we say, in the social milieu. So with the whole world, with that whole worldview in mind, it was noted in the early 1600s in Palermo, Sicily, a case of at least two unusual poisonings that made it into the written record. Two women in Sicily, Teofana di Adamo and Francesca Lasarda, were executed in Palermo, Italy in the 1630s. Wait, isn't and... that where those little frozen pizzas come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it is. I like think a it buck is. fifty a pizza. Yeah, I know, right? So yes, also bargain basement pizza comes from there. Details are sketchy because this is the 1630s, but it's bad, bad trial. They were apparently, you know, there's arguments over how they were killed, but one of them was p- placed in a burlap sack alive and then dropped off the wall of the castle, which was considered to be a barbaric way of executing people. And uh, yeah, that kind of tracks. Um, I mean, th- I, I would just, it's just uninventive. I mean, in an age where you had like Iron Maidens and all these crazy draw and quarter horror shows, he's just dropping from a thing. Come on. They never used the Iron Maiden. It was never a torture device or an execution device. Really? Yeah. That's fake news? They yeah. didn't use it? No, yeah. They think it was created after to kind of play along the barbarism hmm. I, I mean that's what i know about the iron maiden anyway it shows thought and like they had drawing drawing and quartering they had what's that one where you you sat on a, a beam and then they put weights like heavier weights on your legs until you're you, know, oh, like you split in half i, I don't know but that one sounds horrible but i'm just yeah. saying that there were they were inventive they put thought into it there was like almost a poetry to it and then here we were just ah, drop you off a wall yeah, yeah, but but still, it was public and it was you know considered to be very a, a severe crime. Um, both were suspected of, I guess, convicted of selling a poison called aquatofana that was used on abusive husbands. But uh, the crime appeared to be quite heinous given the punishment of, of making this. So, and this poison aquatofana became a terrible fear for centuries afterwards. Very famous poison because it was. Well, maybe because it was wielded by women and because it could reduce men to nothing over days and leave no trace. That was kind of the the myth of this poison, although in reality, it's probably a lot more obvious at the time. But everything left no trace back then. 
Because <laughs> how would you test for it? Right? Like a massive head injury. Couldn't even, like, Whoa. I wonder what happened. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even do autopsies. I, I think around this time that was starting. But yeah, that's a that's a very excellent. Point. Not a not a lot of forensics in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, zero. Right. That didn't a lot get of conjecture right. though. A lot of conjecture and guessing. Yeah, I don't know how much you trust a trial back then. I mean, it was the Inquisition after all. I I would not trust at all. Yeah. So from it's the gotta six- be aqua to fun. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Everybody run. We're gonna make it a pizza. <laughs> Can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I just did. Kind of kind of punching sideways, I think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny. <laughs> from the sixteen thirties until another trial of poisoners in Rome in sixteen fifty nine. Historical accounts say that this poison was used anywhere from 46 known poisonings to more than 600 when people were really scared of it. And that 600 number came from a later account in the 1800s. So I think the 46 is probably the most reliable number. It's a, it's a wide range. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So remembering that Rome at that time was repressive without any options for women, this poison was sort of a product of the times. If you were a woman with a husband you wanted to divorce or who was abusive and you had no way to get out of the marriage, what, what were you to do? I, you know, again, that was probably common. There were a lot of arranged marriages and, and, you know, just difficult unions and so on. So there weren't any above board options to kind of fix that problem. So so part of the mythos of this poison is that wives had to resort to drastic measures. Hmm. And there is in a lot of accounts is sort of hundreds of shady figures in the Roman underworld at the time who could help. So you'd go to this part of the city and, you know, fortune tellers that were kind of the entry into this world would figure out who was having a rough time in their marriage if they were abused or trapped. Um, and then refer these typically aristocratic clients, um, although they also had a, a working class clientele as well, it says to specific who were called wise women who would have access to Aquatofana as a fix for the problem. Hmm. And there was this this whole network, including the suspected daughter of Teofania di Adamo, Giulia Tofana, who was sort of the archetype of the, or the most famous ringleader of this, this group, this, um, this wise woman extraordinaire. So there was a whole network where they got the arsenic from an apothecary, a, a shady apothecary, and rebottled this poison to look like a blemish remover called the manna of St. Nicholas. Um, nice. Yes. And Man of St. Nicholas was a real thing. It was a collection of the oil that was dripping from a dead priest's bones in Bari, Italy. <laughs> Wait, does that that actual collection of that stuff is the poison or just the... No, no, that's not the poison. That's like holy water or relics. It's just... I, I did. So it could be a whole nother episode. How bad I'm sure crazy. Drink whatever was coming off that thing. It probably yeah. isn't good. <laughs> That's probably not good for you. I mean, middle medieval Europe was crazy for, for actual physical pieces of saints and relics and, and all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's other stories of them. Certain saints would get like their body parts would get divided after they died. And one city would claim the head and the other city would, it, it goes on and on. Yeah. Now you can get all that stuff on Craigslist. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, so they were sort of disguising it as this other thing. And this Julia Tofana was sort of a ringleader of sorts in this underworld that trafficked in poisons, but all sorts of other dark religious rituals, uh, abortions at the time, uh, and so on. And she had a lot of clients, uh, according to the later trial, but she got away with it. She wasn't even the one that got caught. So story has it that she died comfortably in her bed in about 1651 or so. Well, it was her associate Sparrow who was eventually caught. 
someone who had poisoned their husband confessed, they think, during confession with the church because it's all Catholic. And then the police mm-hmm. actually entrapped Sparrow with an undercover officer who posed as an aristocratic woman asking for poison for her husband. And then they probably clapped the irons on right at the time. And threw her off a building. <laughs> Bye, buddy. It was off the castle. <laughs> In a sack. I like the sack. It just contains everything. Well, I wonder well, that- if it's so they don't see how far they have to go. Like you might just think, Oh, I'm flying. No, yeah, I was like, like picturing like flat. potato sack race. I just, <laughs> just all the way up to the head. I mean, what's the sack is great for cleanup. Is it just the existential dread of not knowing when you hit for that? Would, that makes more sense. Yeah. It's probably more protective of the person they're executing, even though throwing off a building is like, yeah, it probably doesn't protect them that much though, Mike. I mean, yeah, I know. Like they already know that they're done. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? They didn't throw them in water, right? I think that would be pretty bad. That'd be terrible. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. They, 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 not in this case. So what's, what's your favorite way to torture somebody? <laughs> That's not torture. That's an execution. Torture is different. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's get into the specifics of that. Yeah, or, or not. Or not. Let's, yeah, we don't need to do it that. It is just like, ah, just mind-blowing what humans used to do to other humans with very little information. You know, like this person, what if her husband had a heart attack? You're like, oh, you use Sopa Toscana or whatever that. <laughs> Aqua Tofina. Oh, Sopa Toscana is that Olive Garden soup. It's really good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it also has detrimental health effects, though. So. What does Aqua Tofina? No, the soup Aqua- at the Olive Garden. Oh, does it? Well, only if you get all the breadsticks that come with Aqua Tofana. Yeah, right? Well, it's you'd unlimited. have to, though. Yeah, it's unlimited. That means you Let's soak up the poison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just boggles my mind thinking about it. Like yeah. they used to do, like guillotines, hangings, all this stuff. I mean, the guillotine would be fine until it was time to sharpen it. Because I'm well, sure. The guillotine was actually, if I'm not mistaken, developed as a humane way to carry out an execution because it was supposed to be so quick. Yeah. So that's actually executioners. They were, their job was to, um, especially I think in medieval times, was to, a lot of people died by getting their heads chopped off by swords. It happens. They had to do it one, like one, one strike. And yeah. like you actually bribed your executioner. You give them money or, you know, family money, just like make sure that it's one strike. Cause you don't want them hacking away at the back of your neck. <laughs> you want to give a good tip. I mean, you're yeah. going to pay for it in the end if you don't. Mm-hmm. So in this case, uh, the authorities eventually hung five ringleaders, jailed 40 lower-class prisoners, and shockingly let all the aristocratic clients and friends of Pope Alexander VII go without any significant consequences. Uh, in those times, the Pope was sort of the Pope King, so there are some fairly famous uh, figures that were sort of implicated in this this ring that that never had any consequences, but they they got the ones who sort of started the, who ran the underground network. Well, in, in my reading, too, it seems like poisonings are pretty prolific during that uh, time period. After you know, looking into this a little bit more, I saw that there's actually some unsubstantiated claims that uh, Mozart, the composer, was poisoned with Aqua Tofana. And I couldn't, there was really nothing I found to s- substantiate that, but it uh, uh, it is something that gets repeated throughout. And so I I like to imagine how somebody comes down with a sudden illness probably during that certain time period is like, oh gosh, I've been poisoned. I've definitely been poisoned. 
it's mid 17th century medieval Europe. I have been poisoned. And it's just interesting to think that through a little bit. Mozart is in his chambers with a servant attending to him during a crisis brought forth by an unexpected illness. Mr. Mozart, I came at once. I heard you've fallen ill. <coughs> I told you not to call me Mr. Mozart. It just sounds weird. Sorry, sir. I know. It, it's just that your name is so esteemed and you're a fancy composer and whatnot. Some degree of formality just seems reasonable. Never mind that now. I have the most tragic news. Oh, no. What's that? I fear I have been poisoned. What? You heard me right. I have been poisoned. What makes you think that? A strange illness has come upon me. I've had sweats, vomiting, stomach pains, and... Yes? My bowels. I... I see. No, no, you do not see. My bowels are moving incessantly. It's a symphony of misery. The bass tones emitting from the ceaseless flatulence, unending monsoon of explosive nights, or <laughs> they're the most... Okay, I, I, I get the picture. As I said, I suspect it is poison. I do not know many who have it out for me, but I feel, oh, the end is nigh. You said that last week when you had the head cold. It was a really bad one, though. Indeed. Should I send for the doctor? Oh, I don't know. Either the doctor or the mortician. I cannot go out like this. I guess I could prepare some broth. That might do you some good. I cannot take broth. Every fluid I imbibe becomes a devil's effluent with supernatural speed. My chamber pot must be exercised at this point. Gross. Maybe maybe you just have a stomach bug. I wish it were the case. It's the dreaded aquatofana. I'm sure of it. Probably something you ate. Oh, the room is growing dim. Uh, look, this is a bit awkward. Should, should I find some family to come sit with you or something? No, I cannot trust anyone at this point. I do not know how much time is left. Me either. This seems like it could take a while. I wanted to be known that Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was poisoned by a nefarious assassin. I want you to tell the story of my end. I suppose I could do that. Are there any details you want me to exclude? Do you have any evidence of this poisoning? Yeah, the evidence you need is over there in that chamber pot. Yeah, yeah. I I can smell it from here. Seriously, do you know what this is like? Have you ever felt the dread of innumerable issues of hot, wet, feculent expulsion? It is as if the fires of hell are upon the exit of my bowels, and with each unpleasant crescendo of my intestinal reverberation, a part of my soul withers and dies only to await the next insult, and the next, and the next. Wow, wow. I, I will be sure to take this all down. Historians will, from this day forward, know the final moments of... Wolfgang, Amadeus Mozart were spent in agony. Maybe leave out most of the diarrhea stuff, so? Mm, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, but there is so much diarrhea, though. It really is. It's breathtaking, in fact. Yeah, no kidding. You're Mozart. Yeah, I sure am. I'm so proud of that skit. <laughs> and we're back. You know... It is my sincerest hope that one of my former English professors does stumble upon this podcast and knows that I took the English degree that I worked so hard to get before the whole medical school thing and have found a way to apply it during my professional life. Uh, Aaron, you were saying something about the poison aquatofana. 
indeed. So what was Aqua Tofana? That's the question. Um, based on a warning from authorities at the time, which listed violent abdominal pains as well as nausea and vomiting and then subsequent confusion as symptoms, everyone sort of thinks it's arsenic. Although mercuric chloride and lead are also suspected, and some people say the ingredient probably included all three, um, and then there were some fillers to kind of change the taste. Yeah, heavy metals. Yes, definitely a heavy metal, though. So arsenic was readily available and identified as a poison previously. Uh, it's an element, and the 53rd most abundant one at that. I totally knew that before I started this essay. I didn't just look it up. <laughs> nice. Where, where do you get arsenic? I mean, it's a heavy metal, and it's like a... Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it forms compounds with all sorts of metals and other elements. It's just in the earth's crust. So it would create different colored rocks and such. And you could go you find like, it. You walk down by the beach and you're like, oh, look, arsenic. Uh, you know, that's that's a something like that. Right. I mean, I th I'm sure that people that knew what it looked like and knew what it was. It was sort of isolated as far back as the Bronze Age. And in, at that time, Wait, it helped. The Bronze Age? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Love it would stabilize the bronze and make it a little bit harder. Um, and it has been, it was used as quote unquote, the poison of Kings through history because it had such nonspecific symptoms. So an apothecary at the time could either find it or trade for it readily, which, you know, I mean, apothecaries are kind of cool, right? I mean, they're pharmacists, but they also are poisoners. It's kind of <laughs> interesting. Two sides of the same coin. I mean, you could argue that all pharmacists can be poisoners or are poisoners just with style and panache and metered doses. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Somebody that poisons, are they called a poisoner? That sounds kind of dumb. I I think that is a word. There was a movie yeah, called The Young Poisoner. Poisoner is definitely Handbook. a word. That is a great movie. I mean, not, it's a good movie. It's a solid watch. Let's put it, it that way. <laughs> it's, 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 I think it was a good movie. But yeah, it's called The Young Poisoner's Handbook. So that's my source to suggest that it is a real word. Yeah, great book as well. Although Poisoner's Handbook was not so much, uh, it wasn't plot driven. It was just a discussion of toxicology. Anyway, you guys all remember the ATP cycle, right? All the steps all the way through Krebs cycle in, in the, the circle. Hold on one second, Aaron. I have to cover my ears and scream into void. Do you know Go what ahead. the actual Krebs cycle is? The what? Krebs cycle is you remembering the Krebs cycle and then you forgetting the Krebs cycle and then having to relearn the Krebs cycle. That's yes. the actual Krebs cycle. I actually tutored the Krebs cycle in medical school oh. uh, many times, and I absolutely do not remember anything else about it besides roughly what it does. It's just a circle of pain. I don't even know if I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but anyway, we don't want to bore the listeners with our with our knowledge. Um, Why not? Somebody bored us with it. That's true. Because yeah, I don't have it anymore. Because it helps us in our daily lives. It does, right? Our bodies convert food into energy. That's the the benefit of the, the ATP cycle or the Krebs cycle and arsenic just fucks that all up completely. So it attaches to multiple enzymes more strongly than the other substances that those enzymes are supposed to use and it blocks cellular respiration. So respiration isn't breathing at that point. It's the cells converting what we eat and breathe into energy and such. Um, and cells all over, they just don't function well. So blocks another, a number of other enzymes too, and just wreaks havoc because of how it's shaped. So basically you could say that like the, if you think of your cells as a factory, the energy production within that factory, the substance throws that off. And so you start screwing up the ability of the cell to continue making energy so that it can do cell things. Right. 
and all sorts of stuff gets messed up because you don't have enough energy. Not like fatigued. No, like, right. No, not like fatigue. Like it's, it, it kind of, yeah, I don't know. Like it cell factories exploding. <laughs> cells die. All just sorts of melting. cells die. Every cell, all kinds of cells that do different things. Dogs and cats living, living together. together. What's Bowels a cell? <laughs> well, there's two kinds. So the bowel is empty, the patient has a lot of stomach pain, then they get confused because they start to go into shock and then they progress from shock to low blood pressure and then they die. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit slower. Uh, the ATP cycle is not our only means of getting energy, um, but because it's so efficient, right, the backup systems are not meant to be used for days and days and days. So your body goes into shock and struggles on as best it can with these backup systems, but over time, there's not really any way to recover and, and, and the symptoms are, uh, because of that, I would guess that the, um, gastric emptying, the vomiting and the diarrhea together is because those systems are very sensitive to stress, uh, physiologic stress. Makes sense. Everything causes vomiting and diarrhea. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fun part about toxicology then is trying to figure out a treatment. And in this case, the treatment in, in treatments include a group of agents that chelate the arsenic. So there are compounds that love arsenic even more than arsenic loves our cells. Those can be given intravenously and they grab the arsenic so it's inert. And then over time, we get rid of it one way or the other, just eliminate it in all the ways that our body eliminates things. But I like those. To, I like to think of chelators as like they are molecules that basically form an envelope force field around whatever they are most attracted to and they hang on to it until it leaves your body and can't harm you further. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a cool subset of toxicology. So there are a lot of things we can give intravenously that will bind to whatever the toxin is and then uh, make it inert. So as a principle, it's a, it's kind of a cool way, but those aren't, if it's not a heavy metal, I don't think it's chelation officially. So uh, it works for lead too. Like British anti-lewisite. Yep. That's, that's definitely one of them. Yep. For sure. Look at that. One of the chelation agents that I have never given and read about on every test I've had to take for emergency medicine. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Never given it. Probably never lead? will. That's for lead, right? Uh, yeah, I think it, a lot of these are, are a little bit common, I think, between the, a couple of them, but I, eh, not entirely sure, to be honest. Again. Oh, a toxicology prof somewhere is. I know they're rolling. They're rolling. They're like, God, how could they not remember? I told them this so many times. They're rolling joints and then go into the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> the position of this podcast is that all toxicologists are drug users. Proteins. Well, that's what Mike is asserting. Get no. the drugs from their uh, their pharmacists, probably. No, they're out foraging for false morels. Oh, they know which ones are real. <laughs> toxicologists love mushroom jokes. So does the average person. Really? No. I like it, though. So yeah, none of these though were known in the 1600s. So people died of terrible diarrhea, then shock. Uh, it was, you know, definitely nonspecific in a time when multiple diarrheal illnesses could do essentially the same thing from bad food or any other number of, of causes. So, but the, the interesting psychological portion of this is that the mystery of aqua tofana as a poison persisted for centuries and centuries. There are multiple accounts of this undetectable slow poison that was fatal after only a few drops nobody could find it and uh you know odorless colorless which the original was definitely not odorless and colorless i mean it was you, know, you probably they had to cover up the taste of the arsenic i'm sure you know 
Iocane powder um, is is what it sort of turned into. Uh, in in point of fact, I'm not aware of any known such poison. Um, there is a readily available test for arsenic now, and and symptoms of arsenic poison aren't that subtle or that quick as they were thought to be with this slow poison. But you know, it is kind of a still a big deal. The most common for or source of arsenic poisoning at present is uh, water contamination. So, uh, and people still do get sick from it if it, if it's in their water and we're not aware. So that's that's where it might actually show up. Is that where Aquafina came from then? Like it's got arsenic in it? It's a throwback to the 1600s? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know where that name came from. I'm not sure. I Actually, I would argue that the carbon dioxide I discussed in the beginning uh, definitely was odorless, uh, quick, and probably undetectable. Uh, good point, right? So the not there's no liquid poison that I know of that would do that. You know, oh, probably is probably is there probably is you know. But I you know I got to be honest, I haven't thought about it that much. I know Aquatofana was likely not that way. All right, well, I got that just about covers it. I'd like to thank you, Aaron, for you know trying to diversify our subject material a little bit. You know, most episodes have kind of featured some old stodgy European or uh, early American white dudes in medicine. You managed to find an episode that features a female protagonist, but uh, she happens to be a criminal. (laughs) Hey, you know, one person's criminal is another person's freedom fighter, right? I mean, some of the the talk around Julia Tofana was that she was a heroic liberator of people that had no other exit, which, you know, they legit didn't. You know, I, I would bet Knowing humans, it was probably a mix of people that wanted the inheritance versus people that were legitimately being abused and had no other way out. Um, Being an opportunist, I'm sure she sold to both. But who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, I think that's all we have for today. We do appreciate everyone listening. If you'd like to send us a message or provide feedback, we can be reached through our website, www.poorhistorianspod.com. There you can find links to all the social media sites we operate. We can take emails at poorhistorianspod, all one word, at gmail.com. If you're old-fashioned, try try training a carrier pigeon to deliver us a message. I'd be thrilled if that happened. With that, we shall see you next time. shout outs or corrections or anything i did find uh uh i was telling aaron that um you know when i check our stats there is somebody who downloads from france and i initially thought that this was a uh probably a vpn you know or somebody's just setting it to france but it it is consistent and i think it's kind of a shout out so on twitter i happen to notice that somebody who has commented on a few of our comment or episode tweets uh, I believe this person lives in France and uh, is very interested in medical history. So I actually think we have a totally legit um, French listener, and I'm sure yes. I'm sure you offended them with your Terrari. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <It's> a- <laughs>
it's just all of a sudden the, the listens just drop off a cliff. Like, sorry. No, so we'll get rid of if, if that particular uh, listener is listening to the outtakes and this makes it in there. Uh, yeah, man. Cool. Glad you're listening. Yeah, I think that's great. We have an international podcast. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're famous. I'm not internationally famous. known. You I'm are known. by at least one person. Uh, yeah. Known to rock a microphone. Those must have been lyrics to a song. They were, yeah. Which one? Don't know the rest of them. I don't remember. I, I can hear it in my head, but I can't remember which song mm, it is. That's the worst. I get to, I'm, I'm going out to do all my, uh, start putting out my Halloween decorations. As you guys know, it's, it's kind of my thing every year. And so I'm going to make some new ones. I, get, I make these uh, headstones out of that like high density foam, paint them, dremel them out. So they look, and they do end up looking exactly like stone. So yeah, do you do this for all holidays or is Halloween your, your big one? Well, there's only, yeah, I, I only do it for Halloween because it's he puts my a headstone up for Santa. On Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so at Christmas I begrudgingly do decorate my house uh, for my wife who loves Christmas, and and I get, I get I get I get mad people? when I see the Christmas displays in in June. Yeah, what, so my last year I put out my Halloween decorations like two and a half months early. Yeah, I mean I'm militantly against Christmas before Thanksgiving. I think that's craziness. There should be a law. I'm not a horror fan. I, I, I just am not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I get a little too scared. Um, it's not, yeah, I don't, it's not, it's funny cause it's not a genre that I, I watch all the time, but around this time of year, I definitely, I have my favorites and I go to them and the worst one was I, I watched, um, oh shoot. What was the one in the woods? The Blair Witch Project. That was, yeah, I've never seen that one. And it was a late, showing and then i had to walk back i was in college at the time i had to walk back to my apartment i was so scared i was so scared i'm like i'm i'm gonna die i was convinced i was gonna die that night at the time that blair witch came out i was working at blockbuster video like all of 16 years old or whatever and so blair witch came out it was about the same time that sixth sense came out and Mm. so to this day i have not seen the sixth sense because working at blockbuster made me hate that movie so much without even seeing it because it was like, it was such a phenomenon that people um, would call the store incessantly. We had like a billion copies, but they were like all rented out and they were just always rented out. And they like, once they came back, people were waiting for them. They snapped them up and you get all these angry phone calls. And it was just like, God, I, I hate this movie because it's causing so much freaking grief. <laughs> and so uh, a friend of mine who I was working with, he, um, he was like losing it. And because people were just really mean and obnoxious when they, we didn't have it in stock. And so, you know, he's it's like the most popular movie at the time. And it's just it's just people are treating us for 16 year olds like crap. So our small amount of power he resorted to whenever people would call, he would pick up the phone. He's like, you know, the guy's a ghost in the end, don't you? Sweet. I was going to say, just spoil it. Like, You're just, it's like Bruce Willis is a ghost. How can I help you? <laughs> And, nice. And he, he got he got written up so much. That's hilarious. It was worth it though. That and dude is to a this guy. day. I I hate all M Night Shyamalan movies. 